Welcome to Family Life Today, presented in cooperation with this station by Power to Change. We hope today's program will give you something to reflect on and to encourage you in your relationships. Our hosts are Dave and Ann Wilson with Bob Lapine. I didn't grow up in a church that did this, but later in life we ended up in a more liturgical church that celebrates uh, Holy Week, like to the nines. Starting with Palm Sunday, it's like, okay, here we go. (laughs) We're about to walk through the story in a pretty intense way. And on Wednesday of Holy Week, we would have a tenebrae service. It was done in a way that ended with darkness. It's like you blow out a candle, you read a scripture, you remember how broken the world is. But you don't provide the answer yet. And so learning to sit in the grief of the brokenness of the world makes Easter morning all the more precious, doesn't it? Welcome to Family Life Today, where we want to help you pursue the relationships that matter most. I'm Ann Wilson. And I'm Dave Wilson, and you can find us at FamilyLifeToday.com or on our Family Life app. This is Family Life Today. Well, we've got Andrew Peterson back in the studio. Andrew, welcome back to Family Life Today. Hey, thanks for having me. We are coming up on the critical historical moment in the whole Christian faith. Everything, the most wonderful. Everything hinges and, and rises and falls on this one moment in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Obviously, that's something that you uh, believe in and have written songs about, the resurrection letters. Albums about. You mm-hmm. know, so talk about resurrection and why. I mean, not too many people have written three different albums on that one topic, but you did. And the question is why? So there's this book called Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. I don't know if you guys have read it. You know, some people don't agree with everything he says, but this book in particular, I haven't really talked to anybody who said he's wrong about it. <laughs> um, and it's this book about the resurrection and what it really meant to the early church and what it means for us now. And somehow I missed it growing up in the church. I just didn't really understand the significance of what it was that Jesus did and what that means for us. This idea that we also have this bodily resurrection that has been promised to us, um, that he's He's the first fruits of that whole thing. And man, I just, I love Easter. I love it because in the Northern Hemisphere, at least, we get to see all of creation resurrect, you know? Yeah. It's one of the coolest things to me that we get to celebrate Lent and Easter in this season where the, the earth is going from very dead looking to daffodils poking up out of the ground and these little trumpets of the resurrection. It's like all of creation is preaching this sermon to us. Mm. And I, I just want to embrace that wholeheartedly. And um, it's one of the great joys of my life is that I think this is our fourth year now that we'll, we're touring around and proclaiming that truth and saying, hey, keep your eyes peeled um, because um, the thing that's happening all around you, the way there's a song my friend wrote that says the hills remember green again. And as that happens, it's this great reminder that Christ conquered death and that we also will um, through his power. So all that is like the the centrality of it was something that I missed. And, you know, I've read plenty of C.S. Lewis talked about, you know, every sermon in the book of Acts mentions the resurrection as like this the centerpiece of the thing like if that thing didn't happen what why are we even here and so i the short version of the story is like maybe 12 years ago 13 years ago i 
wrote an album, and usually I want, you put the songs together, and I kind of look for some connecting thread. Like, what's the theme? And uh, I noticed that all the songs in one way or another were about the coming resurrection or this idea that the resurrection of Jesus kind of sent these shockwaves into creation and we're experiencing those. And those songs were about that. So I went to the label and I was like, I want to call it Resurrection Letters. But I realized that I think I should have written an album about Jesus's resurrection, that this would be the answer. So I want to call this one Resurrection Letters Volume 2. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, Star Wars, man. We're just going to go do the prequel later. And so we called it called the Resurrection Letters 2. And 10 years later was when I finally had the guts to, to try to write the, the songs about Jesus' resurrection. It was this huge, scary project. But eventually, you know, we finished writing Resurrection Letters Volume 1. And then I was like, well, that opens with Jesus' heart beating in the tomb. And I feel like we need to at least acknowledge the crucifixion. So we went and wrote Resurrection Letters <laughs> Prologue. So the whole thing holds together as the crucifixion followed by the resurrection of Jesus, followed by uh, kind of glorying in what is coming to us. Take us back. Like you said that you never really got it growing up. Yeah. Talk about when you first got it and what happened. I keep talking about C.S. Lewis. It was like reading the Narnia books and The Great Divorce. I don't know if you guys know The Great Divorce. Yeah. Great, great book. It kind of began the process of making me realize that I think Lewis said that the, the people who did the most in God's name for this world were the people who were thinking the most about the next one. Mm. Um, this idea that keeping your eyes fixed on what is to come kind of changes the way you behave now. And I love that idea. But even when I listen to my older records, I can hear this kind of like I'll fly away kind of theology, you know, that still was missing the puzzle piece that the New Jerusalem descends and God makes his home with us again. You know, that's that's what Revelation tells us. And man, that is it's like the, the good news is better than I thought it was. It isn't just that Jesus died for us, paid for our sin conquered death so that we could we could be in heaven there was almost there was almost this like what for kind of elephant in the room as a kid i was like but why why would he do all of these things and slowly realizing that the answer is because he loves this world he loves his creation and he and he made us to be stewards over it to rule over it and to take care of it in a proper way and so that was the puzzle piece that clicked into place and made me so excited about what's to come. Like I talk to kids who sometimes are terrified of eternity. I don't know if you guys have ever talked to people like that. Like the idea that we're just going to be like in this disembodied state floating around forever. Who wants to do that? Like I think one of the – I heard a theologian talk about how in John 3.16 when it says God for God so loved the world that the I'm – no, I'm no Greek scholar, but the idea – it was that the word for the world, I always assumed that meant the people in the world, but it actually could be translated for God so loved his creation, which includes us, but it's all of his creation that he gave his only begotten son. So he's in the process of redeeming creation and us. I'm thrilled. You can see that I'm excited right now. I get so worked <laughs> I up. I love it. Because it just feels so, uh, it's, it's like, I just want to go back in time and tell 12, 13-year-old Andrew that all that stuff that he aches to be true is more true than he can believe. Mm -hmm. And it just fills in the blanks that were left in that kind of typical cultural Southern Christianity that I grew up in. Mm. So talk about, I mean, if you're thinking about telling 12 and 13-year-old Andrew, a lot of our listeners are parents like us who have experienced the radical transformation of the resurrection, not only of Christ, but of our own lives. How do we 
teach that, translate that, pass that on. How did you try to do that with your own kids? Besides having them listen to your albums. Right. <laughs> Making them listen to my albums. <laughs> I can tell you one of the ways uh, that I have tried to help my kids see it is, is through gardening. I went through depression when I was like 40, and it lasted a few years, and it was it was a really tough confusing season for me Hmm. and uh it happened to coincide with this awakening to my love for taking care of the property where we live like i started keeping bees and trying to grow flowers and and uh and we have this cottage garden out front and a friend of mine gave us this 30-year garden plan she's an english gardener who gave us this really elaborate plan for our property that she was like don't try to do this all now it'll cost you a fortune just pick a little section and work on it every year and so i was doing all of that work and at some point, I began to realize that um, I don't know if you've ever struggled with depression, but like it doesn't really have a hard end t- date. You know, mm. it's just I realized one day that I was talking about it in the past tense. Oh. Mm. And I was like, oh, I guess whatever the thing was is kind of over now. Mm. I, I realized that that the gardening, that putting things in the ground um, embodied the metaphor um, for me. It was like. I spent a lot of time feeling like God was mad at me, that he was pushing my face into the dirt, that he was punishing me for something I didn't even know I'd done wrong, whatever it was. And I remember vividly going out into the garden with my daughter and taking a little seed and saying, hey, it's spring. We're going to plant some seeds. And I took the seed and I pushed its face into the dirt. (laughs) And I kind of wounded the earth in the process. I cut cut a hole in it and covered it over like a death. And we would go out every day to wait for that new life to come breaking through it was like uh that was when the light bulb kind of began to come on for me that how how much it means that the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof that uh the heavens declare his handiwork and his praise whatever that you know paul talks about in romans that we're without excuse because if you've got your eyes peeled you can see this truth showing up all the time and so uh, that to me was like, why, if God didn't intend for our bodies to be resurrected one day, then why would, why would he give us such a perfect metaphor for it? You, know? you asked about how I impress those things on my kids. I think trying to help them to, to live close to the earth and in a way that pays attention to God's creation, to the fact that it is, it is preaching to us, kind of lays the groundwork for this widened imagination um, for what it means for us to one day die and be resurrected. Mm. Yeah, and there is the, uh, as you just, that picture in the garden, uh, and I'm not a big garden guy, but man, I could see the image, uh, and it made me think more of death than resurrection, but there is no resurrection without death, and we run from pain, we run from anything that feels like it's dying, and yet, talk about that a little bit, because you have to embrace a little bit the death or the crucifixion before you can have resurrection as a as a mom as a dad as a person how does that impact a lot of us aren't super good at dwelling on the dark parts right yeah mm-hmm. like at church we tend to to kind of brush over that and you know there's a whole theology of suffering and, and of lament in scripture lament needs a place in our worship services <laughs> i really think and silence needs a place um, but also celebration and rejoicing like it's all it's all part of the deal so for i didn't grow up in a church that did this but but later in life we we ended up in a more liturgical church that 
that celebrates uh, Holy Week, like to the nines. Like I love starting with Palm Sunday. It's like, okay, here we go. (laughs) We're about to walk through the story in a pretty intense way. And on Wednesday of Holy Week, we would have a tenebrae service. Have you guys ever heard of this? We've done it at our church. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a zillion ways to do it. But at this church, it was done in a way that ended with darkness. It's like you blow out a candle, you read a scripture, you remember how broken the world is. But you don't provide the answer yet because yeah. we're experiencing it in the wider context of this of this week. And so learning to sit in the grief of the brokenness of the world makes Easter morning all the more precious, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think that's part of it is like t- teaching our kids that it, that we don't have to be afraid to lean into lament and into darkness. Let the suffering do its work in us. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're suffering doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong necessarily. Uh, it could mean that you're in the cave because God loves you, not because he doesn't. Go back to that, even Andrew, talking about that two-year time of depression, because a lot of us, a lot of our listeners have gone through that. How has it marked you? How has it changed you? Mm. I feel a lot of empathy with people who are going through that. Like, I, you know, that quite a few people came out of the woodwork when I wrote about it in The God of the Garden People I knew and some people who I didn't who have said, you know, thank you for expressing this. Like, it's not often that Christians mm. talk a whole lot about that. And so, yeah, it's it's I've, I've made some good friends out of the process. Um, but really, it's given me a better relationship to time. And what I mean by that is that I'm a very impatient person. But gardening, like when I when I plant a tree now, I plant the tree and I'm better at imagining what it's going to look like in 15 years. Like now I, I do work in the garden that, sh- that that I go, okay, this isn't going to look great for a while, mm. but I'm going to do the work now and I'm going to trust that this plan is going to, you know, come to fruition. Ha ha, uh, pun intended. And so <laughs> what I mean by that is that when I am in those seasons of suffering, I'm better now at holding on to the fact that this is not going to be forever. That's the great lie of depression, I think, is that yeah. this is your life and it will always be this way. And that's despair. It's a lack of imagination that one day some great good thing could fall into your into your lap. It's trusting that the author of the story has good intentions for you. And so for me, it's like reading our kids' stories when they were little, talking, listening to music, great music by people sometimes who aren't even Christians, to like understand better what it feels like to really ache. And then to show them that Jesus is stronger than all of that, you know, that they, they don't have to be afraid to engage with it because there is there is some a good coming. Mm. And uh, so anyway, I could talk about this for days. But one of the last thing I would say about that is that I saw this theologian talking about the Lord of the Rings one time. And he's like the, he talked about how the one of the main themes is the triumph of hope over despair in that story. Um, and some of the characters despair. And one of them, Denethor, actually commit suicide because he thinks how can we ever defeat the orcs like there's no way there's too much darkness Mm -hmm. and then sam and frodo find their way i'm gonna spoil the ending for people but (laughs) the ring ends up getting destroyed in a way that nobody could foresee like if you've read that story for the first time you would never guess that that's how it happens and what i love about it is that frodo is not the hero of the lord of the rings and Sam is not the hero of the Lord of the Rings. The author of the story is the hero of the Lord of the Rings because mm. providence is the thing that ended up working all of these threads together and, and allowed the ring to be destroyed in a way that the characters were unable to do on their own. Mm. And so in that 
context, if we think of our own lives that way, we don't, we don't have to be the hero of our story. <laughs> it's not our job to destroy the ring. It's our job to be obedient, walk into the darkness, trusting that the author of the story is good. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's important what you've, what you've actually modeled for our listeners, especially for parents, is talking about the darkness, not hiding that, yeah. not pretending you didn't struggle, but actually if we as parents could talk about that in our family room with our kids, I think we're afraid to do that. I know that when we would do a Good Friday service, and we did it for 30 years, we would walk out of Good Friday, like you talked about the Tenebrae, darkness. And I always, I was in the planning of those services, I'm like, what? We're going to walk out? No, 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 no. I Everything in me is like, hope. yeah, everything in me, we can't let people walk out. But because we did... And and people are quiet. There's no talking. It's just like it's dark. And then you walk in Sunday and the resurrection story has so much more power because you've experienced the darkness. And I think as parents, tell me if you agree, Andrew, we need to talk about the darkness and the struggle so that when we talk about the power of the resurrection, they feel it. We feel it. Our family feels it in a way that's powerful because we've experienced both extremes. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, I hope we haven't done it. I feel like we've always aired Jamie and I on the side of being open with our kids about what we're dealing with at whatever time. You know, we've had a a few times when we've let our friends in on some crisis that we're going through Mm. and we'll mention in passing that our kids know about it. And they would be like, you told your kids about this? And it's like, (laughs) well, yeah, you know, we would talk about it over dinner. And so there was, especially that season when I was in that depression, I couldn't hide it. Mm. Like they knew something was wrong. Yeah. Like the the worst thing would have been for me to just pretend. And so instead they would say, what's going on? And I would say, I don't know. I'm just really sad. Mm-hmm. And that went on for about two years. But they would also see mom and dad get up in the morning and go to church and sometimes stand there unable to sing. You know, when the songs were too happy, <laughs> um, which, by the way, as a person who has led music before, I remember in that moment, whenever people would say, like, now sing, let me hear you sing louder. I, I wanted to be like, isn't it enough that I'm here, man? <laughs> like, I showed up. Like, let me off the hook. I don't. Maybe the people in, in the audience need to just be silent and, and to listen and to be present. And so, I, I, you know, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but I was just thinking about how... When somebody's in real crisis, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to tell them everything's going to be okay. Mm. What they need is somebody to just feel the pain with them, right? And to just say, I'm so sorry. And to weep with them. And we get to do that. Um, We get to grieve like those who have hope, right? Mm. I don't know exactly. I messed up that quote, but you know what I mean. But (laughs) we don't have to be afraid of grieving. You know, we don't have to be afraid of trying to fix it all today. Mm. And that goes for when you're trying to lead somebody to Jesus, I, sometimes we feel this great pressure to like, this is the conversation, you know, I've got this one chance. And it's like, man, it's going to be a thousand conversations and it's yeah. going to be a thousand, uh, you know, meals together and walking together. So anyway, so that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at when I talk about my relationship to time. Like I'm learning to be patient with the suffering, you know, and like really give that seed time to germinate. And the good news is that Easter is just around the corner, and that is our hope. The resurrection of Christ is always our hope as we keep our eyes on him, whether we're in a good place or a bad place, to have him at the center. So we're just wondering, Andrew, could you pray 
for our listeners, for all of us, um, as we close and as Easter's approaching. Can you just pray for us? Sure. Most merciful God, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Uh, thank you so much for giving us such a good story. We pray that you would please come back soon. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. And so the winter dies with a blast of icy wind. Like a mournful cry, it's giving up the ghost again. Another sheet of snow melts away to gold and green. Look at Peter go, he's racing to the tomb to see. Where has my Jesus gone? He is not dead. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson along with Bob Lapine and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Interesting mentoring a younger couple or being mentored yourself? Check out Power to Change's mentoring initiative designed to help you avoid those pitfalls we all can fall into. Email radio at powertochange.org.au or go to our website families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab to get started today. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.